Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. All right, if you got your Bibles this morning, uh, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're continuing the series uh, that we've been doing, God's Fulfillment of a Promise. Uh, I'll be reading from Nehemiah chapter 2 in just a moment. You can look at it on your Bible app. We have notes on you version on the back of your bulletin that you can follow along, or they'll put the, the scriptures up on the screen. So, um, uh, just a couple of things. Just want to back you up if you missed any kind of uh, any previous part of the series as we talk about the book of Nehemiah and the story for today. Ezra and Nehemiah were originally written as one book, okay? Uh, later on, somebody got really wise and said, let's separate these things. I don't know who did that, but there is a narrative connection. You know, so when you read Nehemiah, you need to go back and read Ezra. So they were really originally written as one book. They were written about 430 years uh, before the time of Christ. So you can kind of get the chronology in your mind. Ezra and Nehemiah follow the book of Daniel chronologically. So da- even though in the Bible it's laid out different, Daniel really chronologically become, comes before Ezra and Nehemiah. So the backstory, just to kind of bring you up to date really quick, <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king of Babylon, he invades uh, Israel uh, and because of their wickedness and doing a lot of terrible, terrible things. And he overtakes Israel. He destroys the temple of Solomon, that holy temple where the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies was. He destroys uh, that temple. Uh, he takes uh, over 100,000 people living in Israel. He takes them to live in Babylon, which is what happened back then. They didn't come and just kind of be an occupying force. They moved you to the new land and you became slave labor, forced labor. Uh, That's where you see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That story, uh, because they were part of the exiles from Israel that went to Babylon at that at that particular time. The Israelites were in exile in Babylon for 70 years. So when they went back, this wasn't a short-term thing. This was a long time that they were in Babylon. So very quickly, the story of Nehemiah is written based on a promise from God 100 years earlier that he would free the Jewish exiles living in Babylon and restore them to their land, their temple, and their life in Jerusalem. So we're going to read about Nehemiah, but Nehemiah is interfacing with a greater promise of the Lord. So here's what happens. That promise of the Lord, 100 years before, the the Bible said there's going to be a man, a king named Cyrus, that I'm going to raise up, and he's going to free the exiles that that are living in Babylon. 100 years before this happens. So Uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, comes on the the storyline. He invades Babylon. He says, hey, I'm going to set these, I'm going to set these uh, exiles free. And he does it, but he does it a little different. He does it in three different groupings and at three different times. So the first one, 
And we talked about that a couple weeks ago when I talked about Ezra. They sent Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple in one phase. He sent Ezra to restore worship and religious life back to Israel at another time. And then Nehemiah, he sends to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So when you just read Nehemiah, you don't always get the fact that this is a promise of the Lord, a fulfillment of the promise of the Lord, unless you kind of connect it back to Ezra. I just want to remind you, because that's kind of the theme about God's promise through this book. If God speaks something to you, it does not matter the time that has elapsed. It doesn't matter the circumstances that have changed. If God speaks a promise to you, He will fulfill it. All right? So this took a lot longer than the, the Israeli, the Jewish people wanted. But, you know, uh, he, he releases a group to go with Nehemiah to uh, rebuild the walls. Now, Witt did a great job last week kind of setting up or a couple weeks ago, kind of setting up Nehemiah chapter 1, the prayer, the brokenness, his, his prayer, you know, that God, God would use him. But uh, Nehemiah 2, we'll read in just a second. So just to kind of bring you up to date, Nehemiah is working for King Artaxas. Now Cy, uh, Cyrus has died, and now the new king of Babylon is called Artaxas. So he is working for him, and he's part of the kitchen staff, Okay. Most people, you know, some people have a culinary heart. They want to work in the kitchen, you know, but some people don't. Nehemiah finds himself working in the kitchen staff. He is personally responsible for the king's food and service. He says he's a cupbearer, and Witt talked about, yeah, the cupbearer, he was, you know, the one that tasted the food to make sure that there wasn't anything bad, you know, but he was also in charge and responsible for the personal service of the food. He's the, the butler that would deliver the food, you know, uh, make sure that it was presented in a way, you know, for the king. You know, because I've been watching the Food Network. It's not just about how food tastes. It's presentation that counts as well. So it's how it looks. So if you'll take your food and if you'll just you know, a, uh, squirt some ranch in a circular, you know, uh, pattern and then kind of smear it off to the side. You are a, you're a pro at that point. He was in charge of, of uh, presentation, his personal style, because he was the one that interacted to the king. Man, he worked in the kitchen. Man, he knew the inside scoop on the palace, who's dating who, who's with each other. He knew it. He knew it all, but he had a close relationship with, uh, with the king, and he had a heart for God. Now, I don't know what his life dream was, but maybe he's in the kitchen thinking that there is something more in my life. There is something more in my life. Maybe, maybe he felt a little stuck. Maybe he just felt like, I am existing. Maybe there was a little bit on the inside of his heart of a little dissatisfaction, a little uncertainty, maybe feeling like, man, is there more than just serving food? Is there something? Is my life meant for more? And I want to say that to you this morning. You may be here today and you look at your life and you feel a little stuck. You just feel like, 
man, what is going on in my life? Man, is there, is there more out there for me? Sometimes it's a little holy dissatisfaction that God puts in our life that we, that we start looking around and asking greater questions about our life and our purpose. And I want to say if that's you this morning and you feel a little stuck, you feel a little uncertain, you feel a little dissatisfaction, this may be something that God is going to use in your life to get you to look at something else. Otherwise, you may not have ever looked at it. So sometimes he uses this emotion just a little bit. So maybe he's feeling a little stuck in the kitchen. But one thing that we know from last week, and I'm going to read it in a moment, is that Nehemiah was very sad. He was living as an exile in Babylon. Please remember, he's living, he's lived, he's lived his whole life probably in Babylon. Okay, probably his whole life there. That's all he has known is that servitude. All of the, all he has known is that is that life. And he hears that the walls of Jerusalem are down. Okay, they're, they've been broken down, and, and he becomes very sad over this fact. He becomes really, he becomes really down. Now, and I have an image that I want to put up here. It is the, the modern day image of Jerusalem. Just keep it up there for just a second, uh, just because I want to give you a visual image. So the walls that you see of Jerusalem are not the ones that Nehemiah built, but I want you to understand that you know, number one, Jerusalem has a very spiritual meaning to people. It's not like any other city. It has, you know, it's kind of like to the Catholics. It's like Vatican. It has this, you know, very spiritual kind of feel to it. And the walls at that particular time, especially, they are not for aesthetics at all. They are practical. They are the defenses of the city. You didn't have airplanes then. You didn't have drones. When armies came in, it was the walls that secured the city. And if you didn't have walls, then whatever you built on the inside could easily be overthrown. They had built the altar. They had built the temple. They had restoring Jewish life. But one thing that would ensure, you know, its security would be, would be to the walls. And he, when he heard the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, he was very sad about that. So God speaks to Nehemiah about going back to Jerusalem for the singular purpose of rebuilding the walls. So Nehemiah chapter <clears throat> 2, I'm going to read uh, several verses here. So in the month of, and it's March really is the Nisan, it's kind of March. In the 20th year of King Artaxus, when wine uh, was, brought was brought for him, I took wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? Conversation with the king and Nehemiah. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, Nehemiah said. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. I answered the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, 
Let him send me to the city in Judea where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. So he pitches this to the king, this whole episode here, and the king says, so do it. You know, just, just go, go do it. You can, you can take the time off and go, and go do that. Now, God was about to unfold a plan for Nehemiah that he never imagined. Probably when he kind of sketched out my life, his life, construction, prophetic construction probably wasn't on the list anywhere. But I want to tell you something. <laughs> Don't be surprised if God does something that is the complete opposite from what you have in your mind. And I want to say this to you too. A call from the Lord. Sometimes we talk about a calling from God. We think that only happens to those in the preaching ministry or, you know, going in the ministry. And I want to go, that is not necessarily correct, okay? That is not necessarily correct. The call that Nehemiah has, number one, Nehemiah is not a priest. He's not in the Levitical line, okay? He is, he's just a servant, you know, in Babylon. He's also not being called like to preaching ministry or biblical ministry, you know, as well. But God is using his secular kind of vocational skills to do something for him. So when we talk about God's call this morning, I don't want, you know, I don't want you going, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be a missionary. I'm not going to be a pastor. So that's, that's a different level. Absolutely not. God speaks to people at different times to do different things with their life. Many times it's in their secular vocation, okay? I have Shannon Davis here this morning. Shannon is an educator. She is a teacher, you know, and Shannon has had some of the most difficult assignments in her life vocationally. You know, God has just called her to have a heart for, for schools and difficult neighborhoods with socioeconomic you know, uh, challenges as well. I mean, I'm sure that she wishes she was in some executive office. She's the principal, you know, right now at Sable Palm. I wish she, I know she wishes at this point, man, I'd like to be doing something executive and all that. But, you know, she's grinding every day, you know, because God laid that on her heart. And I want to say, if there's anybody that I feel like just has a call of God on their life, it'd be that lady right there. I've seen her when she's wept over students' test scores and problems that she's had in her life. So I want to say that to you so that you will go, no, in my own life, in my own vocation, God has a plan and purpose for me, even if it's not on the stage, even if it's using somehow my vocation or my skills, God has that plan for me as well. I, I want you to know that. So God's call, when he calls Nehemiah, he starts you know, starts with this kind of brokenness in his life, this awareness. And God's call is about faith and adventure. Now, I added adventure, okay? Because when you take the step of faith, let me tell you, it is an adventure, right? It's an adventure. When you, when you go, you know, I'm going to follow you, man, there's never a dull moment. Because we're people of faith. We're saved by faith. And then we are created for a life of faith 
after that, uh, Jesus said, everyone, or Paul said, everyone has the measure of faith. He's put that in your heart. There's the fruit of the spirit of faith. There is the gift of faith. Let me just say, we are not created for ease and comfort at all. We are created for faith and adventure. All right? Now, I love this story. It's of Charles Lindbergh. All right, Charles Lindbergh. In 1927, there was a challenge that no one had flown across the Atlantic solo at that, at that period of time. Single-engine plane, 3,600 miles, the spirit of St. Louis, okay? Now, one thing, I thought that he did it just because he wanted you know, to be brave, but there was a $25,000 reward, and in 1927... That was a lot of money. So Charles Lindbergh, Charles Lindbergh goes, you know, I'm going to do this. Now, I want to say, you can think about the money, but it's single engine. No one had ever flown that far before. Radio contact was sparse. Engines were not as dependable as the day. This was a great step of faith, you know, and adventure as well. But you just don't get a plane and fly it over. You've got to find funding. So what's he going to do? So he takes $15,000 out of his own, you know, he mortgaged kind of his house, got a loan to fund this. He put $2,000 more with that. He was a postal carrier. We know the postal carriers have money. He just took it right out of there, right out of his account, threw that in. So he's got $18,000 of his own money invested to, to take this flight. But there's something in your heart sometime, I mean, there's something in your heart that just says, you know, there, there's more out there for me. There's more out there for me than just what's going in my life now, just punching the clock now, just going through the routine. There's something, there are times that God puts things in your heart. There's this restlessness that kind of happens. So he's going he's gonna to do this May the 20th. 1927, the spirit of St. Louis is loaded with 450 gallons of fuel. That was a thousand pounds heavier than this plane had ever carried in its life. They did, or in, it, in its uh, design. It had never been tested. I mean, he's flying over the ocean. You know, there, there's not a lot of boats out there at that particular time if you've got, a, if you've got an issue. But he... He takes off, barely makes it off the ground. Once he climbs above 10,000 feet and he's over the Atlantic, he gets so high and it's cold, and he sees, he sees ice developing on the wings. They don't have the little ice bumpers that they have today. I mean, and he's, he's, he's got extra fuel. You know, what do you do? So, you know, he... He goes to a lower altitude where it's, you know, where it's uh, uh, warmer. Finally, the ice melts off. He's in and out of radio contact. This is a 33-hour flight, okay? There's no relief pilot. I want to tell you, I couldn't have made it more than 10 hours, okay? I'd have, I'd have had to take a nap somewhere, you know, stop somewhere along the way. 33 hours he made it. But when he landed in Paris, France, 150,000 people greeted him. It was the first solo transatlantic, you know, crossing. He got his $25,000. His name is known in our history. 
because of his spirit of adventure, the step of faith, this part of his life that goes, there is more than I am created for than what I am doing now. So sometimes when, with God's call, you know, uh, we're, not, we're not created for ease and comfort. Sometimes it will be an awareness, maybe a brokenness sometimes, or we can, define, we can find God's plan and purpose through things that we are passionate about as well. You know, things that excite us. What, what is passion? It's an intense desire or enthusiasm for, for something. So he'd been living in exile, and he'd heard about these walls that had been broken down. And yes, he was greeted initially with, with sadness, but there was also something in his heart for whatever reason. A kitchen guy, a house guy, says, you know what? No, I, I think I'm the answer to that. I think I'm... I think I'm the one that God is moving to do this. So, listen to me. Sometimes exploring our passion and what, we're, what, what, what makes us excited is also a way to connect us to our place of ministry. Sometimes passions are the initial door that kind of walk us through to connect us where God is leading us and what God wants us to do kind of with the next season of our life. It's another way that we can kind of see God's a life designed for us because passion provides inspiration for action. Passion provides inspiration for action. So when he hears about these walls that are destroyed, he knows what's happening in Jerusalem and it's going to be short-lived if there's not some kind of defenses set up. He just can't sit around. So he asked the king to do something way out of his gifts and callings, all right? Way out of his gifts and callings, all right? So questions to ask concerning passion and God's call. What do I get excited about? What am I passionate about? What's just kind of burning in my heart that I, man, I would love to be more involved in? Or another question. You know, what breaks my heart? Sometimes it's sadness. Sometimes brokenness. Sometimes it's, you know, it's awareness, you know, that kind of, you know, that kind of brings you, uh, brings you to kind of a, kind of a place of, of action. When George and, and Doris, you know, we started having our first initial talks about homelessness and feeding the homeless in our city, we didn't know anything about, you know, like what, what can we do? How can we you know, how can we get more involved? We loaded up in George's truck one day, and we just started driving around going to homeless camps. I didn't, even, I didn't even know there were homeless camps here. I didn't know what happened, where they lived at night. But George took us one day in the woods. I did not know if we would return alive, okay? We walked so far deep in the woods, I, my GPS, you know, do I need to drop a pin here? Do I need to make a, a final call to my family? And, and all of a sudden we emerge to this homeless camp that there were probably 35 or 40 homeless people back there, you know, that didn't have regular food. And we had the opportunity to, you know, to visit, visit with them and meet them. It wasn't just something on a website, but we were meeting them. We visited several places that day, and I, I can only speak for myself. At that, at that moment, I knew, and they knew as well, this isn't just something that we can sit on. 
This is not something that you just pray about. Sometimes passion and brokenness, they work hand in hand because God's wanting you to do something about it, even though you may not feel the most qualified to, to do it. He's a, he works in the kitchen. He's part of the domestic staff. But God's leading him to, to build buildings. So I, I want to say to you, you know, it's not, it's not about the gifts that you have at this particular time. It doesn't matter what your Myers-Briggs says or your Enneagrams say to you. This is about following the Lord, following God's call. Let me remind you, this is not about your glory. This is about His glory. And when you follow Him, even though you feel inadequate to the task, God will use you in a powerful way for His glory. He'll do that. He leaves behind comfort and the things, you know, that he was good at. It probably, it probably kind of shocked him. Do you know when stuff just kind of comes out of your mouth and you hadn't even thought about it? You know, like when he said, hey, I'm sad about the walls of Jerusalem. Why don't you let me go and rebuild them? Boom, it just, it just popped out of there. You know, he's probably like, what, what, what's going on? But then in a moment, he becomes very serious and he says, if you'll let me go, Hey, would you give me some letters for safe passage because you didn't really just go from country to country back then. You, you needed, you know, letters, official government letters of what you were doing. And he said, but also when you do that, would you throw a letter in to the, the, the guy that's over all the timber and just go, hey, would you give Nehemiah all the timber he needs? And they gave him, they gave him these letters and Nehemiah, he takes off. All right. In verse 11, Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem and he starts to inspect the walls. Verse 11, I went to Jerusalem and after staying three days, I set out at night. So he gets there. I set out at night with a few others. I had not told anyone what God put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. So he gets there. He doesn't say anything, but he starts these nightly inspections. He even writes a little later, the damage was so great, I could barely get my horse, you know, kind of around, around those. So he starts this assessing, you know, this, this challenge that he has. Now, a couple of things about Nehemiah. He was determined, I think this is a very important word to remember, and you're going to see it surface throughout this story. Determined, having made a firm decision, and being resolved to carry it out. Having made a firm decision, and you're resolved to carry it out. Sometimes people think that if I follow God's call, and I, I'm obedient to what the Lord says then all obstacles roll aside. All obstacle money starts flowing in. People start applauding me and encouraging me. And I want to tell you, that is the complete opposite. You want some great chaos in your life, you start walking out God's plan for your life. Because it, it will happen. 
everything that you can't imagine will start will start to happen but that's where the word determination comes in that once you've made a commitment to something that you're going to do something that you're going to resolve in your heart it doesn't matter the obstacle in my in my path for God's glory I'm going to get this thing done some people quit way before the finish line because of adversity and criticism and problems that they have. No, when God calls, when God commissions, things will happen in your life, but you be determined. I'm going to be resolved. There might be issues with what's going on right now, but I'm not discouraged because I know that God has spoken to me and I'm going to finish this task that God's given me. He was determined. Now I want you to remember that because you're going to see some really difficult ups and downs over the course of time. And I know that determination, you know, we, in, like in the New Testament, we call it more perseverance. Man, you just don't give up. All right? But it's an important part of, of following and serving the Lord. So Nehemiah, he was determined. He was also very wise. He was wise in how he approached this task. He goes to Jerusalem. There's already people there. There are already people that have kind of gathered. There are people that have been living there for a period of time. He's the new guy. He's the new guy. He was patient. Part of his wisdom is that he was patient. He did not immediately announce what God had told him to do. We just read that passage. He did not immediately announce what God had told him to do. He kept quiet and he moved slowly. Sometimes that's the best thing to do and it's the hardest thing to do. All right? It's just be quiet. Just let God unfold some things first. It's the opposite of what we do today. You know what we do today? Hello, this is Nehemiah. I'm coming live from the Gates of Jerusalem here. Listen, as you can see, they are in bad shape. But God has spoken to me. I am the one that God has spoken to. And we're going to see this wall built. In the comments section is a GoFundMe. If you would like to contribute to this project in any way, I certainly would appreciate that. All right? That's what we do today. But sometimes... The best thing that you can do, sometimes the best thing you can do is just hush. Shh. Shh. Don't say anything. But God's called me. Shh. Just hush. Don't say anything. Wait for the right moment. He had the opportunity. He said, I got with these leaders, but I didn't say anything. He said, I did not say anything about what God had told me. Sometimes, man, that's wisdom sometimes. He's just... So sometimes when you have a word from the Lord, just hush. Shh. Shh. Be quiet. Hush in the Greek means shut up. Just shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Now, don't check me on that. Don't check me. Don't Google me on that. All right? Just wait for the right time. Verse 16, the officials didn't know where I'd gone or what I was doing. Because I have yet said nothing to the Jews, the priests, the nobles, or any other other officials who would be doing the work. He didn't say anything. 
Verse 17, then I said to them, eventually, you see the trouble we're in, Jerusalem rise in ruins, and its gates have been burned. Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We will no longer be in grace. I told them about the gracious hand of the Lord upon me, and they said, let us start this rebuilding. Let us start this rebuilding, okay? So one thing, he was wise. He was wise. He was wise because he was just patient. So sometimes when God speaks, it's not for a public declaration at that point. It's not for a post. Sometimes you just let it sit in your heart and you let God start to unfold how this thing is going to work. Another thing that he did that I think was very wise, okay? He had this commission from the Lord, but he didn't go play the God card. He didn't go say, God told me, God told me, God told me this. I like the phrasing, come let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, okay? I told them, he just tells them the story about God's gracious hand that was upon me, all right? Then they hear this, they see the humility, they see the collaboration that he's, you know, because they're, they're the ones that are there. He's the new guy that's jumping the, you know, the organizational chart. So he does it very wisely to the point where they say, you know, rebuilding. You know, they, they, let's start rebuilding. So they begin this good work. So I want to just say just for a moment, okay, he just did this very, you know, very wisely, all right? I want you to be careful of people who always say, God told me. God told me. I want you to be very careful of people who always have words for other people, okay? That's, that's something, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but those that use that phrase all the time, okay? God told me, I've got a word from the Lord sometimes that can be used in a manipulative way. Now, if anybody could have done that, it was him. He could have said, you will not believe what happened to me. And because this happened to me, you should follow me. But he was much more wise because he was not trying to win an organizational chart victory. He was trying to collaborate, get some team because he knew he was going to need some help on these walls. Okay, He had the authority of the king. He had the letters of the king. He didn't show them necessarily at that point. He just came across very wise. Hey, I, w- I want to work. work with you guys. Sometimes tact and wisdom are really, really important in these kind of situations. What else, Nehemiah? Did he trusted God and in his plan. He trusted God and in his plan. And this is always a, a fun thing to those that are planners, all right? You got your five-year plan. You got your Gantt chart. If you're in project management, you know you got every contingency figured out. But listen to me. When you follow God, you can throw that out the window. Because I want to tell you how God works. He does not say, follow me, and then here's the next 22 steps over the next 10 years of your life. He doesn't do that. I wish that he did. All right? Here's what God says. Here's what I want you to do. Now go do it. And you're like, what? <laughs> what? 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 What's next? Don't worry about what's next. Go do what God has told you to do. And when you're obedient in that moment, the rest of what God is unfolding in your life will be revealed at that moment. It's like a scavenger hunt, kind of, you know. You get to one point, you find the clue that leads you to the next point. All right? 
But if you never leave where you're gonna where you're starting from, you'll never find what that next step is. You'll never you'll never find yourself at the end. God told Moses, "Get these Israelites out of Egypt." Okay. My first question would be, where are we staying at night? Where's the food coming from? What's going to happen? I got that. I got that. Just do what I told you to do. I'll take care of the details later. Some of you can't process this. Listen to me. Listen to me. God is a wonderful God, but he does not share a lot of details with us about his plan. All right? It's called faith, and it's adventure. So he just, he just says, get to Jerusalem. Get to Jerusalem and other things will start happening. I want to say to you, take that first step. You're not going to have everything revealed. Take that first step in your life. And I promise you, if you are following the Lord, the plan of the Lord, the resources of the Lord, the next step and the information that you need to, to take the, the next step on there, on that, on that, on that path, it will be there at the right time when you're obedient to that, all right? And I want to say too, worship team, you can come. Because I'm going to talk about this later as well. Just, but I just want to mention it. If you feel unqualified, like he's going from the, from the personnel staff to construction, okay? He's never worked in construction before. Which that ought to hurt the feelings of all the people that work in construction, okay? God needed something done. He just pulled someone out of the kitchen to do the job, okay? All right? But I want to say this to you because here's what happens. When you follow the Lord and you take that first step, there are unseen gifts that will begin to emerge in your life that you don't see. There are things in you that you do not see in your present circumstances that God will pull out of you when you are exposed to the new uncertain circumstances that you're walking in. There'll be gifts that will surface. So here's a guy, and you'll, you'll appreciate it later in the story when you kind of see how he gets into this construction thing, all right? But those gifts, you're going, I'm so, I'm so unqualified, but I would go... Because there's some things that God is going to do in your life that are going to be miraculous and mysterious. There's going to be some things that God is going to pull out of your life that you are going to be proficient in in your future that you don't even see on the horizon right now. But that doesn't happen first. Whoa. Why do I all of a sudden have this passion for construction? Well, let me go work in the kitchen. No doesn't work that way. You follow the Lord. You follow the Lord. You're faithful to what God says, even though you don't understand it all. And then at that moment, things start emerging in your life. Gifts, talents, proficiencies. And you're going, what's going on? What's, what's happening? And the Lord will begin to do a work in your heart in that particular area. But You've got to take that first step. It doesn't happen in reverse. Listen to me. Resources don't happen first. They usually come second after you take the step of faith. All right? So everything is kind of reversed, waiting on you to go, you know what, Lord? I feel like I've heard from you. And I don't even get this moment. I don't understand what's happening. 
but I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to take the first step. We're going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to do baptism. I just want to say this morning, I feel definitely in my heart that God's speaking to some people this morning. Some things that have been laying in your heart that you're going, yeah, man. And I'm not saying this is one that you quit your job. It might just be a little bit, because that's always your concern, right? You know, uh, it just may be a shift of focus or ministry. It may be a vocational change. I don't know, but I just feel in my heart that God's saying to some of you, hey, I put this in your heart, this awareness, this passion, this brokenness here. It's not just for prayer meeting. Sometimes those things are that He's going to begin to open the door and He uses those emotional highs and lows to kind of get your attention so that you'll go, you know, hey, I need to walk through. Or maybe there's just some, you know, a part of your heart that's unsatisfied. Just like, man, I'm bored. I'm bored. Is there something else I can do for the kingdom of God for my, for my own life? Is there something else I can do? All right. So I wanna, I'm going to pray in just a moment. We're going to do baptism. I'm just going to pray specifically in, for, in a moment. Would you stand with us this morning? Brent, just lead in a time of worship here. Then I'm going to come back. We're just going to pray some specifics over this topic here today. I believe God's going to speak to some of you. Whatever you want to, or do whatever you want to, I will make room for you, Jesus. To do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to, I will make room for you. you want to, to do whatever you want to, I will make room for you, I surrender all, to do whatever you want to, do whatever you want to, do whatever you want to, I will make room, I will make room for you. Thank you. 
Come on, sing that this morning. Sing it. Do whatever you want to. Sing it. Do whatever you want to. I will make room for you. All right, so I want to pray this morning over you. And if you're listening to this message today and your heart's been beating out of your chest the entire message, this might be for you, okay? I want to pray. I want to pray over you today. So, Lord, I thank you for people, Lord, who are willing to serve and trust you in the process. Lord, I pray for those who feel a little stuck a little unsatisfied. There's a holy discontentment in our heart that's made us kind of ask, Lord, is there something else? Is there something else? And Lord, I pray, I pray that you would speak to that person, Lord. You may use this season to, to reposition them for the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray for those here, they've had something on their heart. God, you've laid something on their heart. Maybe they just never kind of moved. It just kind of laid there for a while. And, and now they're feeling an urgent nudge. Okay, this is the moment. You've prayed about it. You've thought about it. You've analyzed it. And this is the moment. Lord, I pray. I pray for them today. Lord, I pray for those that maybe have brokenness over something. There's a sadness over some kind of need that they see. And Lord, they can't get away from it or there's this passion for some kind of need Lord they've, they maybe they don't feel like they're the most qualified but Lord you, they have this unusual passion for that so Lord I pray over them today and I just pray if this is your moment if this is your word God I pray that they're going to take that next step I pray that they will not be risk averse and live their whole life playing it safe Lord I pray today for some you are calling and you are releasing into a new season of their life. Lord, I pray over that today. And Lord, there are, there are people today that are going, Lord, I will follow you. I'm going to take the next step. I don't have all the, everything planned out. There's a lot of uncertainty. But Lord, I believe this is a God moment for my life. And a God season for my life. And I'm going to walk into that. And I, I pray over that, Lord. I pray over that, Lord. I pray that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for this congregation, their son, that you're calling to do something new, to stretch and to grow. God, to some, it may be going back to college, changing a major, getting a new certification, changing jobs, trying a new ministry, going on a missions trip, leading a small group, sharpening their skills intentionally, investing in others, discipling others. Every young Timothy needs a Paul. Hebrews 5 said, you ought to be teaching others, Lord. So I think in this moment, you will raise some out of the seat who've always sat on the receiving end of ministry and Lord you are propelling them to be in front it's that moment of their life thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord I feel really strong God speaking to some people this morning thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord Lord from our own safety and our own comfort Lord you're calling us to do something for your glory 
And Lord, if we take that first step, you're going to take care of everything else. You're going to take care of everything else. Brent, do that part. It just says, I will make room. Because this is, this is the, the place that you just got to give space to faith in the Lord in your life. I want to just sing that. Then we're going to close. We're going to do baptisms. Do that part again. you want to to do whatever you want to I will make room for you Jesus to do whatever you want to to do whatever you want to I will make room for you that's your song of response and declaration say this, if you feel like maybe God's speaking to you in some way, you know, may, maybe it's immediate, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a season, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's on the horizon. I want you to go speak to someone about that. Don't sit on that. Come to one of the pastors, somebody that you trust in this congregation and go, hey, you know what, here's kind of what I'm feeling. Will you pray with me about that? We would love, we would love to know that. Maybe God's just speaking some things here, but I, I want to say, don't sit on this and just let dust gather on it. There is a moment that you need to move and you can miss that moment. All right? So I at least want you just to have the conversation with someone. Go, hey, here's what, I, here's what I'm feeling, you know? And that doesn't mean you're selling your house tomorrow and packing your bags and moving across the world. But it's just starting the process of that. Or you may go, hey, I've been sitting on this a while I, I probably need to get going. I want, I want you to do that, okay? Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.